We're going to go back into God's Word together this morning and look in the book of Judges. And so let's ask God to teach us, okay? So will you continue to pray with me? Father, thanks for a chance to open up Scripture together today. We thank you for what you're going to say, what you're going to encourage us with. Lord, we want to respond to what you say to us. So Spirit of God, would you come and guide us, correct us, encourage us, challenge us. We want to see you working today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll start with a story this morning uh, about Jace. Jace started kindergarten in Des Moines a few years ago. And uh, even that first day of kindergarten, he realized something that he hadn't realized up to that point. He realized that there was something different about him, that he was not like all the other kids in the kindergarten. The first day of school for him was really tough because he got made fun of by other kindergartners. And when his mom picked him up, she noticed that something had happened because he wasn't his normal bubbly self. He was really quiet and and kind of just hung in the back seat of the car. And in reality, uh, Jace uh, does look different from most kids his age. Here's a picture of, of Jace, and you'll be able to see why he's different right away. Most of us have two hands, and Jace has one hand. He's missing his left hand. I love his t-shirt, though. Greatness doesn't fade. That's a good reminder for Jace. But, but he went into this life and, and went into kindergarten just wondering why, why he was different. And his mom says that it it became a question he was asking God. He actually got upset with God about why God made him this way. And his mom didn't know how to answer his questions either because she was asking the same questions. Didn't seem fair to her either. And then they turned on the TV one day and saw a news story taking place uh, 100 miles away. And it was the story of an eighth grade basketball player named Treshawn Willis. And he was blowing up online because of his dunking videos. And, and the story came on the news, and Jace saw it. And right away, he had an instant connection with Treshawn. Any ideas why a little five-year-old would have a connection with an eighth grader? Uh, let me show you a picture of them together. This might help answer the question why he connected right away with Treshawn. And again, the T-shirt kills me. Ten fingers are overrated, it says. <laughs> I think that's a great T-shirt. So Jace uh, saw Treshawn online dunking, and he, saw, he said, that's cool, that's really cool. And his, uh, Jace's family and friends got together, and they arranged a time for him to meet Treshawn. And they got together and shot hoops and rode bikes and played hide-and-seek. And Treshawn was able to sit with Chase and talk about these questions that he was having. And he was able to say to Jace, hey, God didn't make a mistake when he made you. He, he created you this way because he's going to do great things through you. And and you're not the only one that has to face these kinds of hard things. So just trust that God has you, even though it doesn't make sense right now, that God is still working and moving in your life. Treshawn is an unlikely hero. He's had to go through his own difficulties, his own hardships, but, but God is using him to help others who are facing similar struggles, people who are asking that question about who they are and what their value is. He's an unlikely hero. They're surprising leaders Um, All around us right now, there's people even in this room that you would be caught off guard if you heard their stories and how God is using them to make a difference in the lives of others. And as we're walking through this Old Testament story, the book of Judges, that's, that's really the story of Judges, unlikely heroes, surprising leaders that God called out to do things that, that would catch you off guard. God calling out women and men who are not the expected winners, you know? God invites those who are outside to take leadership, those without power or position, Uh, even those who are left-handed. You know, he says, I'm going to use you as well, which is, I'm a left-hander, so it's surprising. Uh, He says, I want to use you to step up. I want you to bring life to your communities. And in the book of Judges, we see God using unlikely heroes to, to free his people from oppression. 
And last week, Nate Severson introduced us to a man named Gideon, who's the fifth judge in the book of Judges, the fifth unlikely leader and hero in the book of Judges. And, and Gideon, when we meet him, he identifies himself as, as the least important person in his family. And he says, my family is part of the, the weakest tribe in all the nation. And Gideon identifies himself this way. It, when he does that, it doesn't mean that he's humble. It wasn't humility that built that understanding of himself and his family. It was actually shame that was informing his, his view of himself. Humility is power rightly understood and held and used in ways that, that give life and health to others. Gideon was not humble when he said those words. He was filled with shame and he misunderstood his value in God's eyes. Can any of us uh, relate to that? Those times when we feel shameful. Nate said last week, our setbacks often become setups for God's work in our lives. And it reminds me that, that God doesn't call the brave, but he makes brave those that he calls. And it's so important for us to remember that truth because we, we see our limits, we see our failures, we see our weaknesses, and, and you know what? Those are real. Those are accurate. Oftentimes what we see is, is the real deal because we know ourselves. But God speaks into that reality and he calls us towards something different, a different possibility. Nate introduced us to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, and today we're going to look at Judges chapter 7 and see how God chose to work through Gideon in a powerful way. So if you've got your Bible with you, I just want to invite you to open up to Judges chapter 7 or open up your Bible app on your phone and, and find Judges chapter 7 verse 1, and we're going to look at this story together. Just, uh, just a reminder here, the book of Judges is a story about what happens when we do what we think is right instead of what is right. It's a story about what happens when we make our own decisions about what is good and true in this world instead of trusting the one who put everything together, instead of trusting our creator who built this world and built our lives even before time began. It's like when you get an Ikea desk and you try to put it together without the instructions, you know? And you shove a dowel into this hole over there and you put foot A onto part B and you just kind of do the best you can and it ends up not looking like a desk when you're done. It looks like a, a poorly designed doghouse. You know, and, and I don't say that because I did that. I'm just saying that's something that might happen. I've heard stories about other people doing that. So, you know, we were invited to follow the way of life that we were created for by our creator. He says, you don't have to wing it. You don't have to make it up as you go. God says, I created you for life. I know the way of life. So if you will follow me, if you will walk in the ways that I've called you to walk, you will find life. And that's what we see happening here in the book of Judges. So look at Judges chapter 7, verse 1. I'm just going to read a little part of verse 1 here. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. Jeroboam, this is a little nickname that Gideon is given by his dad. And he's given that name because he comes into his family after God calls him and he clears out all of the fake God idols, all the false God, Baal worship items and objects that are in the house. He clears it all out. And his dad calls him Jeroboam because that means Baal has to contend. Baal has to fight against this person. And that becomes his nickname. For the people of Israel, Baal represents evil in some ways. So literally, you could think of Jeroboam, his nickname is evil's got to fight this guy. Evil's got to try to stand up against this one because of what God is doing in his life. Wouldn't that be a cool nickname to have? Like you're the one evil has to contend with. It's like a superhero name, I think. And that's what he's called by his dad. So let's keep reading the rest of chapter, uh, verse 1 there. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. 
I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel would boast against me. And they would say, my own strength has saved me. God says, I want to give you the victory here, Gideon. I want to bring you through this and have you win, but I can't do it effectively because your army is too big. He says, your team, it's, it's just too much. It's too powerful. It's too competent. He says, I can do more with less. And Nate mentioned this part of the story last week where God says, your army's too big. And I want to say, come on, God. That's not the American way, right? That's not what we think here in America. I mean, bigger is always better. More is better than less. Strong is better than weak. Why is it that God would want to make Gideon's army less? Well, he tells us right here. I'm thankful he answers that question. Why would he want to do this? He says it right here. I don't want them boasting about all that they can do. I don't want them bragging about what they've accomplished instead of seeing that it's me, that I'm the one doing the work through them. God wants his people to live into reality, to embrace what is true in this world. Now, they, they could have fought this battle on their own without God. And they, maybe they could even win the battle without God against this other army. But their lives would not bring about their ultimate purpose. They just can't live into what they were created for apart from God. God is the reality and center of their very existence. And he says, I want them to know me and to see me at work among them. Without God, we can, we can do some good things too. We can help other people we can love our families. We can even build inspirational communities without God. But without him, the ultimate destination, at the end of our lives, all the work we do, all the building we do, it's, if we're doing it without God, at the end, there's only death. That's all that there is to look forward to. And God created you to live. He didn't create you to die. God created you for life. And if we walk with him, if we trust him, if we see him at work around us, we get to join in and live life with him. That's what God wants for us, for you and for me. He doesn't want his people living their lives apart from him. So he says, I gotta, I gotta reduce the army. And he ends up cutting it down about 99%. Let's look at how he does that. Look at verse three. God says to Gideon, he says, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. You do the math, okay. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many. And Gideon rolled his eyes. <laughs> it doesn't say that, but I can imagine. Take them down to the water, God says, and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down and drink. Verse six, 300 of them lapped with their hands to their mouths. And the rest got down on their knees to drink. And Gideon said, let me have, I'll take those 300 out, I'll take the rest. But God says, no, send the rest out. I want you to keep just the 300. Verse five, I'm sorry, verse seven. So the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay before him in the valley. So God says, I got some reduction, some troop reduction programs for you, Gideon. I've got an announcement and I've got sort of a, a random behavioral exercise and we're gonna whittle this group down to a manageable number. The announcement is if you're feeling a little queasy, you got some butterflies in your stomach as you think about bloody swords in the battlefield. He says, you can go ahead and head home. If you're feeling afraid, 
you can, it's all right, go ahead and head home. And I can imagine Gideon bending over and starting to roll up his bed mat. Like, yeah, I'm out of here, you know. That's me. God doesn't give him the easy out. But 20, over 20,000 of the men leave. 20,000. Like two-thirds of the army head out because they're feeling afraid. How, why is it that they, how could they feel that kind of fear to have that kind of doubt about themselves, to abandon their brothers on the hill, on the, on the battlefield? Well, you have to understand Midian a little bit more. You've got to remember who Midian is, this nation that came in to take them over. You go back to chapter 6, and you can read some about Midian. Verse 2 of chapter 6, it says, Because the Midianites were very powerful and were cruel to Israel, the Israelites made hiding places in the mountains and caves and in safe places. They weren't even living in their homes. They had abandoned their homes. They were, they'd found valleys and ravines and mountain areas with caves, and they were hiding out because of how cruel this nation was to them that had come in to occupy them. In verse 5 of chapter 6, the Midianites came up with their livestock and tents. They came like huge numbers of locusts. It was impossible to count all those men and their camels. They came into the land to destroy it. We're told they, they came in to destroy the crop fields and the, the fields for herds, and they just destroyed the land so that Israel couldn't grow food or take care of their animals. 20,000 left because Midian was powerful and cruel, and they had suffered under their oppression for over seven years. And some will write and say, well, this was probably a good strategic move because 10,000 who are focused and not afraid are better than 32,000 when two-thirds of them are, you know, a little shaky, a little fearful, could hurt the morale. And I think, man, if I've watched 20,000 of my comrades walking away, that might shake my morale a little bit. So he goes through that test. And then there's this next one that doesn't seem very strategic at all. It seems pretty random. Watch how they drink. Take them down to the water. Watch how they drink. If they drink like a dog, keep them. They don't drink like a dog, send them back to their tents. Strange. But one thing we learn from this passage about God, it's very clear here, that God loves dogs. Very clear. <laughs> very clear in the text. Just hold on to that one. I see nothing mentioned here about cats, just by the way. But God's a dog lover. If they drink like dogs, keep them. And so some have written like, well, if they're lapping the water from their hands like a dog, they're, they're keeping their eyes up. They're aware. They're, they're watching the horizon. If they put their face down in the water to, to, you know, like the others did, they're not staying aware. So that's why, you know, God weeded them out that way. I'm like, ah, seems a little thin to me. I'm not sure I, I buy that. I might be reading a little too much. Seems pretty random. When I was, uh, you know, applying, interviewing for the job here for this role, no one from the search team came up to me and said, hey, Nate, let's go down to Indian Creek and we just want to watch how you drink the water out of the creek down there. That wasn't a test, a hoop I had to jump through. But, but God has Gideon go through this, and it gets whittled down to 300, from 32,000 to 300. God intentionally removes like 99% of the army. God intentionally weakens Gideon before he uses him for his purposes. And God might do the same thing in our lives. He may weaken you before he empowers you. And, and I don't like this strategy. <laughs> I don't like this. I, I would rather be strong and be used by God. I'd, I'd rather, you know, have it all figured out. I'd rather understand. I'd rather be confident in what I can do and do it with excellence. I'd rather have the plan and the spreadsheet and the numbers all worked out. But if I can figure it out, and if I can do it, and if I can put it all together, then what's the result going to be? Only, what I, only what's humanly possible, Right? I get the attention, I might get some limited success, but all that will become a distraction to the eternal transformation that God wants to bring to our community. 
to, to the glorious people he wants to bring together for his glory and his good, what he created us for. So God might reduce the army before he does his great work in you or through you. And one of the reasons he'll do that is because you were created to be dependent. You and I, we were made to depend on God and to depend on others. We were not, we were not created to be isolated. We weren't created to do it all on our own. We need outside empowerment. We, we can't manifest spiritual renewal and restoration from within ourselves. It must come from outside of us, from our creator God, from our heavenly father, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And Paul would write about this in the New Testament. He said it this way. So I am very happy to brag about my weaknesses. Then Christ's power can live in me. Paul says, I'm going to brag about how I'm weak. We should talk up our inability so that God's ability can shine through. We brag about our dependence instead of clinging to our limited energy and trying to do it by ourselves. This is a hard lesson, a hard spiritual reality that we need to learn, that many of us have learned and some of us need to learn, that, that if we're going to live into the life we're created for, we need to understand how dependent we are. So if God's hope for us is dependence, if his hope is that we learn that we need others, well, then weakness is actually an advantage, if you think about it. Weakness isn't something to be avoided. It's actually an advantage that God can leverage for, for greater outcomes, more transformation, ever-increasing glory, as the Bible talks about, because we understand that we need others. So maybe, maybe this morning you're experiencing a troop reduction right now. You look around your life, and you see diminishing numbers, decreasing potential, less capacity. You aren't feeling success in the job hunt. That online dating pool seems pretty thin these days. You don't feel connected to others even though you're trying to make new friendships. Spiritually, it seems like God is turning away from you instead of looking you full in the face. Financially, you're not sure how you're gonna pay all the bills this month. And that core relationship in your life, it feels like it's starting to be pulled apart. Well, God could be preparing you for something good by inviting you into dependence on him. If you, if I, if we would invite the divine, perfect, complete, powerful, all-knowing God who's existed before time began, if we would invite him to walk with us through our everyday lives, that would be the best thing we could do today, tomorrow, this week, to see him at work in us, especially, especially when it seems like the troops are being reduced. When I was... When my life was broken years ago, my family was devastated eight years ago, I, I ran to God. I was desperate for him. I needed to know I wasn't alone, that he was with me, that his people were around me. I went to scripture. I read through the book of Psalms over and over again because David writes so often about how he felt alone and he didn't understand what God was doing in his life. I needed to hear that because that's what I, where I was at. And God showed up, carried me through. And you guys have your own stories. We could share the hard things that we've been through in our lives. And God is helping us grow in our dependence on him. Our inability, our weakness becomes an asset when dependence on God is what we're hoping for. And that's what it means to be saved by Jesus. That's what it means to experience new life in him. God offers us restoration, not through our own ability or the things that we can do, our human power, but through humble obedience that can often look like weakness in our eyes or the eyes of others. But it's just, it's just not weak to embrace what is real and what is true. It's not weak to acknowledge what is reality for our lives. 
In fact, it's dangerous to not acknowledge what is true and what has been true for all people in all times and all seasons and all places. If, if someone's walked on the face of this earth, they have needed forgiveness and love from God because we're created that way. Tim Keller is a pastor who, an author who wrote a book about this book of Judges. Here's what he says about this passage. He says, this is the greatest spiritual danger there is, that we should believe that we can save or have saved ourselves. The lesson we always need to learn is that salvation is by God's gracious action, not earned by our actions. See, God loves you so much that he wants you to understand this reality, this truth. And that means there might be some hard days and difficult situations. Now, suffering is not always a lesson that God brings on our lives, but there are times when it is. There are times when it is. And we need to learn that truth. So Paul, who brought so many people to the to the family of God in a powerful way, he would say, you know what, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. That doesn't add up to us. That doesn't make sense to us. Another way to think about it is, is when Jesus said, who, he who is forgiven little loves little. When someone is forgiven little, they love little. He says, when someone doesn't understand how much they need to be forgiven, when they don't understand how much they need the love of God, well, then it's gonna be hard for them to accept, accept God's love, to live in forgiveness, to offer forgiveness to others. You can think about it this way. If I told you tomorrow I was going to pay your bills, you wouldn't know how excited to get until you knew exactly what I meant by that, right? Until you had some more information. Is he going to pay your $40 cell phone bill? Am I going to pay your auto loan so that you've got your car free and clear? Or am I going to pay your mortgage for you for the rest of your life? You know, what kind of bill are we talking about, Nate? You're not sure how excited to get until you understand the details of the bill repayment plan. So if it's like, I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay your cell phone bill, well, you'll love me for the week, right? You'll be like, that's nice, 40 bucks. Thanks, Nate. That's really kind of you. But if I pay off hundreds of thousands of dollars of your mortgage, you're going to love me for the rest of your life, right? You're never going to forget that. Understanding the depth of your need for forgiveness, the depth of your weakness and rebellion against God, it opens your mind and your heart to the love that God has for you. And you'll love him for the rest of your life if you understand the depth of your need. You have to embrace that weakness, that need that you have. So Gideon gets his troop reduced. Let's see what happens next. Look at verse 9 of Judges chapter 7, verse 9. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it into your hands. And then God said, but if you are, if, uh, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack. So Gideon and Purah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The other Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. It sounds like Judges chapter 6 we were just reading about, that image of, of so many people. Verse 13, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, the man said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with, with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. 
God wakes Gideon up in the middle of the night and he says, it's time to go. I'm gonna give you the victory, let's go. And then he has this little side thing. He said, but if, if you're afraid, you're feeling fear, and it's the same kind of fear that we read about in verse three, when God said, if any of the men are feeling afraid, they can go home. He says, Gideon, if you're feeling that same kind of fear, you can't go home, but here's what I want you to do. Go down into the camp of the enemy and listen to what they're talking about. And so Gideon grabs his friend Purah, his servant, and they head down into the valley. And again, he sees the numbers. Can you imagine? Hundreds of campfires, thousands of tents, camels that are beyond number. I have to imagine Gideon's discouraged when he sees this. But then he overhears these two men talking, this dream. A round loaf of barley bread rolling into camp, taking out the tents. And the one says, that's got to be Gideon. That's, I mean, that, that's the image of Gideon for this enemy, this enemy nation. It's, it's, his, it's like it captures his power and his ability, a barley loaf rolling into the camp. This is his logo. It's his branding. And I think about poor Gideon because, like, Gideon, he's not a boulder. He's not a, he's not a spear or a tornado. He's a piece of bread rolling into camp, Right? When we think about high school sports teams, we name them things like uh, lions and bears and bulldogs, right? Nobody talks about their sports team and says, yeah, uh, our, our high school team, that's, they're the biscuits. That's not, nobody, nobody says that. Our team's the pretzel rolls. That's what we call our team. And, and so this barley bread rolls into the camp, and it's, it's cheaper than, than the wheat bread that normally they would, be. it's inferior. So not only is Gideon bread, but he's bad bread. He's inferior bread. It's like comparing the Hawaiian street rolls to that Pillsbury canned biscuits you can buy, right? It's like there's no comparison. But, but what is this barley loaf doing? Not something normal. A piece of bread rolls into my tent, it just falls over, right? This one is knocking over the tents and flipping them over and smashing them, you know, flattening them out. Remember when God called Gideon in chapter 6, and he called him, he said, mighty warrior. And Gideon said, no, 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 you don't, you don't have that right. That's not who I am. I'm weak, I'm unimportant, so I'm, I'm like a slice of Wonder Bread at Ibis Bakery. You know, that's what he was saying. But, but in this dream, even the measly white bread has taken out the enemy stronghold, bowling over the tents. And what does Gideon do when he, hear, when he hears this interpretation? Turns to Purr and says, all right, we are awesome. He pats himself on the back. He's like, let's go get him. No, it's, the first thing he does is he worships God, falls down on his knees. And he says, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful, God. Thank you. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for giving me courage. Thank you for strengthening me. And he goes back up to the camp and he gets the troops together. And this is why Gideon is listed in the New Testament uh, book of Hebrews, this, this passage about the, the kind of the hall of fame of faith that we talked about a few weeks ago. Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. The writer says, I don't have time to tell you about all the other heroes. I don't have time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth, these other judges in the book. It says, they put out great fires. They escaped being killed by the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became powerful in battle. Their weakness was turned into strength. This is Gideon's story. It might be our story as well. Gideon is afraid and anxious and wondering what's going to happen. God says, if you're afraid, go down to the camp. Gideon goes down to the camp. He's telling us that he's afraid. And God gave him assurance that it was going to be okay. God says, I've got you. What I'm asking you to do, I will do through you. You can trust me. And he gives Gideon reassurance. He's done this several times in the Gideon story. When Gideon, when he calls Gideon out and Gideon's like, I don't know if I can trust you. And he says, let me, I'm going to build an offering to you. And God sends down fire and he burns up the offering and Gideon sees the power of God. 
And God says, here's what I want you to do. And Gideon says, I don't know. How about, let's do a little test with some lambskin. And he puts out a fleece. And one night it's wet on one side. The next night it's wet, wet on the other side. And, and God is just like meeting Gideon right where he is and his doubts and his wondering and his weaknesses. And God says, I'll meet you there. I'll encourage you. I'll remind you what is true. I'll assure you that I'm with you. God is patient and kind. And, and he still is today. He can handle our faltering faith. He's not worried about our doubts and our questions. He invites us to walk with him one step at a time, day by day, just what we can do. Take that next step with God today. And as we experience this new life with him, we're encouraged, we'll be encouraged, we'll be reminded that he is trustworthy, he is faithful, he is good. This assurance comes as we stand with God, as we face these difficult days and hold on to God. Paul wrote to the first generation of Jesus followers in Rome, and he wrote these words to them. He says, through Christ, we can approach God and stand in his favor. So we brag because of our confidence that we will receive glory from God. But that's not all, Paul says. We also brag when we are suffering. We know that suffering creates endurance, and endurance creates character, and character creates confidence. We're not ashamed. There's no more shame. We have confidence, he says. And this confidence we have is because of God's love has been poured into our hearts. Paul says we brag about the good things that God is giving, pouring into our lives, and, and we brag about the hardships that we have to go through, the suffering that we have to face. Remember how this was part of Gideon's story right at the beginning. God said, I don't want the army bragging about all that they can do. I want them to see that I'm the one doing it. I want it to be obvious that I'm the one saving. So God's invitation to us is to avoid bragging about our own ability, our own power, and instead brag about the good things that God is doing in our lives. And brag about the hardships that we have to go through because he's with us in the midst of those things. And he will do, he'll do amazing. He will turn your weakness into strength. God will flip over fear and build up confidence. He'll remove doubt and he'll pour in endurance. This is what our good God does if we turn to him and trust him and walk with him and walk in the way of life instead of what we might think is the right way to go. We don't have time to finish up the story this morning. I want to encourage you to read the rest of chapter 7. Uh, Gideon comes up with an amazing strategy to defeat the enemy army. He gets those 300 men together, and it involves trumpets and torches and timing and terracotta, and uh, it's just an incredible story. And, and his life is, this little story is bookended in this beautiful way, because when he's called by God, he's called at a wine press, and he makes an offering on a, on a rock. And at the end of the battle, his enemies are killed at the wine press, and they're killed on a rock, and it just kind of perfectly bookends the story. So read the rest of chapter 7 later today. But I want to finish up by reminding us the, the truth, for, you know, remind us of what is real and true, that we might be weak, but God makes us strong. If we can understand the reality, if we can hold on to what is real, we have this opportunity to live into the way of life. So I want to ask you a few questions, just four questions as we, in, we uh, finish up here. Yes or, yes or no questions. And you can answer this in your heart and your mind right now. You don't have to say it out loud. But uh, here's the question. First one, are you perfect? Yes or no? How would you answer that? Do you love everyone unconditionally? Yes or no? Do you know everything there is to know? Yes or no? Is your power unlimited? Yes or no? Now, if you're living in reality, if you're based in what is real and true, Obviously, you know the correct answer is no to all those questions, right? No, I am not perfect. No, I can't love others the way I would like to be able to love them. No, I don't know everything. No, my power is not unlimited. 
And the beauty of God's presence in our lives is that your no becomes God's yes. Every time you say no, God says yes to those questions. God is perfect, holy, and good, and full of light. God loves perfectly because God is love, the very essence of love. God knows all that you are facing. Nothing is hidden from his sight. There's no surprises in your life. God sees it. And God is able. There are no limits on his ability or his availability, especially when you're not feeling it, especially when it feels like he's silent. God is doing some of his most important work in you when you're wondering what he's doing. While you're wondering, he's working, and he's bringing you through. He's holding you. He's inviting you to trust him. When I look out at you, I I see what God sees. I see mighty warriors. I see holy saints. I see confident children of God. Live into who God created you to be. Acknowledge the weaknesses in your life. They're real. Don't, Don't be afraid of them. Name them. See them. And invite God to come in and give you strength in the midst of those. And he will do more than you could ever imagine. You will not be defeated in this life when you walk with your God who loves you and created you for life. Let's thank him for that. Let's pray together and praise him just like Gideon did. Let's worship him. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And while they're coming up, will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads and we'll talk to God together. Father God, we're so thankful that you are here with us right now. We're so thankful that you are good and faithful and that you see each one of our lives. You are not stuck in time. You're not limited by time. So you can, you can be with us fully, every person in this room, in this world, fully present with each one of us. Thank you for creating us in such a way that, that we would respond to your love and your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you for making us as we are, that, that even in the midst of our weaknesses and our failings, Lord, that that you can use us, you can work through us. That it actually reminds us that we are dependent on you and on one another. And that creates a community, a culture of light and love that, that can change this world. And Father, you've invited us in. You've adopted us as your sons and daughters because of what Jesus did on the cross. We're so thankful, we're so grateful, we worship you. We surrender to you, we give you our lives. We're so thankful that you are the same God that Gideon had. You are faithful to him, you'll be faithful to us. You are good to him, you'll be good to us. Lord, help us to embrace that truth and live into it today. We pray it in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to invite our prayer volunteers up. At the end of every service, there's people up here to pray with you and encourage you. And just rem- I just want to remind you, you're not d- meant to do life alone. If there's something going on in your world, there's concern you have, even something you want to celebrate, come on up and let us celebrate with you. Let us pray with you and encourage you today. As you go, uh, you can drop off your connection card. If you have offering for the church, you can drop those off in the joy boxes, which are, yeah, we celebrate generosity here, and those boxes are right out the doors there as you leave on the wall inside the sanctuary. Uh, Thanks for all that you're doing to be part of God's kingdom work here in our community and around the world. As you go, just remember that even though we are weak, we are strong in God that God has your week. He sees exactly what you're going to go through this week. You can trust him. He is faithful and good. So go and, and shine his light. Be loved to those in your life. Allow his power to shine through you. Go with God. And we'll see you next Sunday. Amen.